0: Hello, and welcome to our latest episode of the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas. And as always, this podcast is sponsored by Zen Sports, which is the mobile sports betting app giving customers more choice in how they bet on sports. It has been absolutely forever since we last did an episode. I think it's been two, two and a half months um, we were, or I was, knee deep in the throes of fundraising for our most recent round of funding for Zen Sports, which we officially announced last month in March. And uh, it's been a whirlwind uh, with that, uh, as well as getting our uh, U.S. license applications going, specifically in Nevada, uh, which we uh, should have, uh, and hopefully we'll have uh, in the next uh, three to five months. Exciting, exciting stuff on that end. Uh, So it's been very, very busy uh, here at Zen Sports Headquarters in West Hollywood. Uh, Since we uh, were last on the air, a lot has transpired in the sporting world. Uh, The Super Bowl happened. uh, So unfortunately, my Packers uh, were ousted at home by Tom Brady. Uh, Very disappointing game from our cornerbacks. Uh, Did not play well whatsoever. But uh, it's now basketball and Bucks and Brew season. So I'm very happy for that. Basketball season, I'd say the regular season, the NBA has been a little bit lethargic uh, too much, too much load management. Uh, people uh, start sitting down too much, uh, really got to see them make some changes to, to the rules and how uh, stars are managed in terms of uh, workload and getting them out there playing games that matter. I mean, there was a Sixers Nets game, what a week ago, a week and a half ago where almost all the stars sat down and that just, that's just not good for the NBA. Thankfully, The playoffs are about a month away. Uh, We're almost there, which is awesome. And my Brewers are off to a rip roaring start. They're 11 and seven. Just got fresh off a a sweep of uh, sweeping the Padres in San Diego. Uh, The pitching is dominant. Uh, Corbin Burns is a Cy Young candidate. Uh, Brendan Woodruff and Corbin Burns are probably one of the best one, two punches in the game. Uh, Super stoked about that. Uh, So lots to be excited about in the sporting world. Um, and so with that, uh, I think it's uh, appropriate that we now bring in to the podcast our newest guest, uh, who is Martino uh, Puccio. I hope I didn't uh, uh, butcher that name. Uh, I appreciate you joining, Martino. It's a pleasure to have you on, and uh, welcome to the first episode we've had in the last few months.
1: Hey, thank you. Yeah, you didn't bot- botch my name at all, so you're good. Um... Most people, most people, uh, struggle with it, but you, uh, you hit it on the head perfectly. So awesome. Cool. Cool. Thanks so much. Um, and where are you, uh, based, uh, these days, uh, New York, um, been in New York, Westchester, New York, my whole life. Um, so even, even during college as well. So all 26 years I have been in uh, Westchester, New York, so. <laughs>
0: So I'm originally from Wisconsin, as you can tell, and yeah. uh, moved to California about 20 years ago. And I have to say that sports fans, uh, I'd say west, sorry, excuse me, east of the Rockies are a lot more rabid uh, than west of the Rockies. Now, it doesn't mean they don't like their sports here. And it doesn't mean that certain teams uh, don't definitely get the, the love and fandom that uh, some teams uh, back on the east coast and Midwest do. It's just a different, a little bit of a different vibe. Um, and I'd say even more so, uh, down here in socal uh after moving here about six months ago definitely of course there are you know huge lakers fans and dodgers fans but there's just so many other things to do that a lot of times you know those things can get in the way of sports but um definitely uh definitely still great to have uh, you know all the sports going on and uh those uh, couple of months that we had last spring about a year ago this time we were sitting there going oh my god holy shit are we gonna have any sports or not and so for us to be able to have everything at full capacity, really, for the last, I mean, basically 10, 11 months uh, has, been, has been amazing. So um, that's something to be thankful for. So with uh, without kind of further ado, uh, you have a, just a super interesting background, Martino. Uh, would love to kind of dive into that first. Um, so it looks like you've been doing a ton of uh, Serie A and soccer coverage uh, for The Athletic, um, as well as having worked at Sportsnet New York and, and some other things. So it'd be great for our listeners here just to kind of walk us through a bit about your background and what you're up to these days. And we'll go from there.
1: Yeah. So um, the Serie A background stuff was really just from my childhood because um, my all my grandparents are from Italy. My mom was born in Rome and she came here in the 70s. So my no-no, which is just Italian for, for grandfather, um, always used to watch soccer all the time, and it would be on on the weekends. And they used to live with us for a couple of years, so whenever I was home or off from school or something, if there was a midweek uh, match, I'd sit and watch with him because it was only really on the Italian channel back in the early 2000s or so, early mid 2000s before they started getting on like Fox and being Sports and all those other channels like ESPN Plus right now. Um, So that's kind of where I grew up with that, but I was also involved in a ton of like American sports. So it's kind of like a new wave, new age um, niche for a lot of people because I love soccer, but I also love all all the other sports here. You know, baseball is a huge part of um, New York sports. I mean, it it's it's without a doubt in New York town. If you've ever been here, uh, baseball town, excuse me, is a New York uh, is uh, for New York. So I mean, Mets, Yankees, I used to go to um, Babe Ruth's grave when I was a little kid um, in 2003, 2004. So that was right at the, the peak of Yankees Red Sox rivalry in the 21st century. And just going there, touching the grave. I mean, I eventually became a Mets fan because of the whole HGH scandal kind of, got me upset, but then you find out everyone was doing it at the time. So it didn't really make it make a difference. Um, and yeah, I've always wanted to be, um, a sports analyst slash broadcaster since I was like 10, 11 years old. So it's always something I've wanted to do. And it's really just an obsession, a hobby on top of a work, uh, a job to have. So it, it all intertwines because whatever I do in my off time is, is basically work as well. Um, so yeah, i just been doing that, been interning and, and working and freelancing at a, at a bunch of places for the past uh, few years now.
0: That's awesome. And so on the soccer side, uh, being a fan uh, yourself, now I'm not, <laughs> so I'm going to ask some questions that are maybe going to come across as being completely ignorant. But um, <laughs> I mean, I, I get it at a high level because we have a lot of soccer bets that flow through our app. And so I see the teams, I see the bets that come through and uh, understanding it from that side of things. But from a fan's perspective, I really only kind of ever follow it during the World Cup, right? As a lot of people do yeah. at, at that time. So do you follow primarily European soccer um, since you're from Italy? Are you, you know, do you have a favorite team uh, in Serie A or, um, you know, do you follow MLS as well? I mean, I know there's a couple teams out of New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does your fandom lie with specifically regarding uh, soccer teams and the soccer leagues that they play in?
1: So, um, I also have a podcast called, named the state of play podcast, and we basically, um, I have a co-host from New Jersey, who's a friend of mine. And then also I also have a co-host all the way in London. So we primarily cover the, the main power of five leagues in Europe on top of some other leagues in there where there's some top young players and it's focused on, you know, England, the, the basic main five leagues for people who may not know, or even yourself, it's France, Italy, Spain. Uh, Germany and England are considered the power of five leagues, Um, you know, just like a power of five conference for college um, with the Big 12, SEC, et cetera, right? Um, And we just, we watch most of those games um, because there's like multiple platforms to watch them on. We're lucky enough to have ESPN Plus having Bundesliga, which is the German league, and then Serie A. I'm an AC Milan fan. Um, So we've been doing well this year relative to uh recent years because it's kind of been um a rough stretch probably their roughest in their history and they've been around since 1899 um but they're they're considered one of the dominant um teams clubs is what they call them instead of franchises um ever in the sport and um yeah. And I just do, I just do a bunch of work with that. You just go on, um, Twitter, you start interacting. There's a bunch of uh, Italian Americans, obviously in the New York tri-state area. So you can go into the city, watch a bunch of games with them. And yeah, I I mean, I watch, I watch some MLS too. Um, I've been to a couple of games, obviously at NYCFC, uh, Red Bull arena. Mm -hmm. Um, an old friend of mine from, uh, Elementary school, his cousin used to play for the Red Bulls. So we would go and uh, see some of those matches as well. Um, not that um, big on the MLS because it's just a totally different structure the way it works over here because um, they don't have promotion and relegation and they have almost double the amount of teams of some leagues uh, in Europe. So, yeah, I mean, it's just primarily been focused on all that. A is the one that I watch the most for sure. Um, But Premier League, La Liga, and basically all the big matches that prop up on the weekend or midweek for um, for all these top five leagues and even the occasional, you know, South American tournaments, too, that are at nighttime over here. um, I tune into those as well.
0: Nice. So obviously, the European uh, soccer leagues have been in the news recently, uh, even (laughs) though they're probably casual fans saw or heard about it. uh, The fact that. Christopher Russo was even talking about it earlier this week to show us kind of how it uh, came across the pond. And of course, what I'm referring to is uh, the uh, potential, I guess you, if you want to use the word coup uh, to create a new European super league that would move a lot of the top teams from those leagues that you just round off in those five countries into basically their own league uh, where they would play each other all the time. And so for those of uh, you know, our audience that, are not that familiar with what was kind of basically transpiring. Can you give us a bit of a deep dive into, you know, kind of, uh, this kind of goes into the you know promotion relegation thing you were just talking about um, since American sports are not set up that way, you know, kind of how does it work with all the leagues right now in Europe? And then what were they trying to do? What were the owners trying to do with European super league?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a lot to digest because you need a background story and understanding of how everything works prior to, Uh, what happened on Sunday so basically most leagues the way they work um, and it varies for each league um, in terms of qualifications for European competition so everyone has their domestic league so English teams play English teams they have their promotion and relegation the bottom three teams to finish in the top leagues usually get relegated and they bring up Uh, the top three teams to come from the second divisions. um, And that's basically how, how that works. Um, And and they get promoted there. They play 38 games a season, usually for the 20 team leagues. Germany has 18 teams. So it's a, it's just four less matches because there's two less teams. Um, And basically the regular season is the postseason. Every single match matters the most and the regular season champion at the end of the day, um, wins the title. It's three points for a win, one point if if you draw, and then zero points obviously if you lose. Um, and then at the end of the 38 matches, or whenever it mathematically comes true that a team can no longer be caught in the standings, they're crowned champions. And usually, with some of the leagues, um, there are top four spots that are highly coveted because that gets you into the champions league competition, which is the biggest annual competition in the world, um, especially for soccer. So basically in that competition, that is like the cream of the crop. It is the best teams from each league um, that finish top four for the most part. And then there's other leagues that get invites, but they also don't have as many spots because their teams traditionally don't do as well. So it's called a coefficient. So if your country, for example, say England has a bunch of teams that go deep into the Champions League, their coefficient rises, meaning it guarantees them spots into the Champions League. So it guarantees them four. And there's a few leagues that have guaranteed four spots. And then there's places like France and Portugal that only have like one to two or even three spots at times. So it really is dependent upon how well your country does. And there's also the Europa League, which is a the secondary tournament with pretty good teams and the third play and and the teams that finish in third in their group in the Champions League get knocked down to the Europa League. And if you finish last in your Champions League group, you just eliminated from European competition. So bear with me. It's a, it's a little bit much to uh, to swallow at this point. So that's oh, good. Keep basically. Going. Yeah. Yeah. So. They have all these teams that that get into the competition. And the further you get into these competitions, the more money you make from TV revenue, et cetera, because there's millions and millions of eyeballs. Heck, even there's a billion viewers for the Champions League final worldwide, which is insanity. And it even goes up higher than that. Um, So basically, the better you do in these competitions, the further you get to but there's this thing called financial fair play and financial fair play was basically created to prevent a lot of teams from going bankrupt because there were some issues there. And a lot of these, you know, teams don't own their own stadiums. So they lose a lot of money with that. There's a lot of teams that don't compare in terms of TV revenue because the premier league, Blows everyone out of the water with TV revenue and how much money they make because they market it better. They're doing a much better job than everyone else tapping into the US market because the US market is so interesting because it's over 300 million people that you could get eyeballs towards. And, you know, the language is the same. Um, it's broadcasted on NBC. A lot of people love watching on NBC. It's a familiar name. They do great production-wise, way better than any other channel that carries another sport. And then there's La Liga that does great as well because obviously the Spanish-speaking community in America is so massive. It, they they love that as well um, with Barcelona and Real Madrid and when Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. So anyways, the FFP situation basically was supposed to help teams in theory, but in practice, it only hurts them because the way they punish these teams who, who can't break even or stay in the green, um, they punish them by kicking them out of European competition. And sometimes they, they find them and they give them a transfer ban, meaning they're not able to sign players. It's like banning a team in free agency from signing anyone because they weren't in the green um in a three-year rolling period so it was handicapping a lot of teams a lot of teams are in the red um they're thinking that UEFA which is just the federation that holds the champions league competition the Europa League they handle the Euros which is going to be this summer um and there's a lot of corruption going on and a lack of transparency very often um an unethical you know I guess you could say controversies that have, that have popped up throughout the years um, in terms of corrupt and the rules, not applying to everyone else. There's teams like Manchester city and PSG who have spent hundreds of millions of dollars on, on players. And they're clearly not making that much because they aren't traditionally bigger teams. They don't have as many fans as a Manchester United or Real Madrid. And, They're basically spending all this money where there's teams like mine, like AC Milan and there's Inter Milan and, and all these other teams that have been, you know, following the rules and being forced to sell players just to try and break even and follow the guidelines where AC Milan got banned from European competition just a year ago, where Manchester city had an initial ban for lying about where they got their sponsorship money from basically, which was just funded from their own owners and they initially had a two-year ban from the Champions League and they were going to get a transfer ban as well. And then they appealed it and they ended up getting nothing. So essentially so- the rules ended up pl- applying to very few and then the others were um, not applied to them. And Let's a lot of people- Let's stop right there for a second. Yeah, because sure, go ahead. Why,
0: why do other teams care if other, why do certain teams care or the leagues care if other teams are making money or not? If, isn't that an owner's, You know, prerogative if they are willing to, you know, take a bath on, you know, profits for the season or two. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it basically kind of like a salary cap to try and force people to? There isn't,
1: it's not even really a salary cap. I think it's, it's really just relative to the amount of money you make. So Premier League teams make a lot more money. They're able to spend a lot more and it's hurting these other teams in these other leagues. And it's, and I don't like it simply because I agree with you. If you have the money, I don't think you should dictate how anyone spends that money. If they want to run the risk of potentially losing hundreds of millions and, and you know, going bankrupt or a worst case scenario, right? These guys are billionaires. They know what they're doing financially. I just think it's, I think it's ridiculous to try and tell people how to spend their money. And that's basically what happens, except for the fact that it doesn't apply to everyone. Manchester City and other clubs like PSG can spend hundreds of millions and they're not making close to that yet AC Milan will spend a S- x amount of money, and they don't make that as well, but they're getting penalized while the other two teams are. So it's, it's, it's frustrating to them because they can't get back into the game and compete and win the trophies that they used to because the rules are only applied to a select few, and, and it's just unjust. So I, I'll, I'll bring it into the Super League now, and what happened was There were 12 teams at the beginning. There were the big six Premier League teams, the top three teams in Italy, the top three teams in Spain, um, and they wanted to go and bring in some top teams from France and then in Germany. They wanted a 20-team league, but they also wanted to stay in their domestic league. They wanted to get rid of the Champions League and branch off from that because they believe UEFA is holding millions and millions of dollars uh, from going to all these clubs and not helping them out. The issue with the Super League was this is that the original founding 12 to 15 clubs that they wanted to have into this competition were never going to be relegated and the amount of money that they would receive simply from joining the league would be around 400 million euros. It was a 3.5 billion euro split between these 12 clubs And it would effectively just keep them richer than everyone else while giving no chance to these other smaller clubs that, you know, reach the Champions League on occasion. And as you know, you guys are into betting. So Leicester City is one of the greatest sports stories ever with the way they were able to win the Premier League a few years ago, is that they had they pulled off something miraculous and it's one of the greatest stories in sports history and they ended up playing in the Champions League but that wouldn't be possible if you have the European Super League so it essentially kills off all these other you know big clubs but not as massive as as the main ones that would be in this league and they would never get relegated and it would essentially ruin the whole purpose of competition and promotion relegation and what makes the sport so great at its core in Europe and what they were doing is a good idea to begin with against UEFA to branch off from what they're doing or even demand more money because it's obvious that they're, this is the biggest sport in the world and the biggest annual competition in the world, and some teams are only getting 15 million euros worth of TV money. That just doesn't make any sense to me when we're watching March Madness, whereas, yeah, it's a great competition. There's a ton of eyeballs towards it. And USA and United States has a lot better TV deals across all their sports compared to others. But it just makes no sense to me in theory on how a sport that has a billion eyeballs towards a final and hundreds of millions towards, you know, quarterfinals and semifinals can make even close to the same amount of money of, of college of a college sport that has millions of eyeballs towards it, but the numbers just don't even compare in general. And, and those are billions of dollars, right. Going in towards Turner and CBS and all those other channels. Um, So people are upset about it. And what happened was fans brush back at it because there's obviously fans of the teams like us, uh, like AC Milan, that would have been in the league. We didn't like it because it just takes away from everything that you actually work towards. And, and how much of a meaning it is because at the end of the day, it just feels like you're playing a video game that it's just so easy. You get guaranteed money. It doesn't really matter if you have a bad season or two. Um, And what they also wanted to do was stay in these domestic leagues and play in Italy still and have the same structure that they have currently while also playing in the middle of the week for the European super league. So they, so they were also wanting to stay in this league while these other teams that are in their current leagues, would have no chance to compete financially because it's just basically the Yankees playing the Yankees of the late nineties, right. When they're buying all these free agents and nobody else was really able to compete. That's what it would have been like permanently. And this sport doesn't have a draft system over there where you could select the best talents. Um, at the beginning, you have to scout your own talents, um, Develop them and make them into better players, and a lot of the time, a lot of players have the choice to go where they want to go. Right? Like, can you imagine if the NBA draft what didn't exist, and you just had kids who grew up Laker fans because of Kobe Bryant or Shaq or whatever, and they had the opportunity to choose between the Minnesota Timberwolves or the Lakers? They're gonna to go to the Lakers every time, right? And it's not even a money thing. On top, not yeah <laughs> Hey, he's an Arsenal supporter. So he's a very loyal guy. So I'm happy he stayed in Milwaukee, by the way. I think it's great for the the sport and the city itself. Um, And I think he's a a great player. So um, yeah, but not to get off track a little bit. But essentially, everyone just got up in arms about it. And And UEFA kind of was combating it in a way. And the rumor is that they were giving more money to these teams to come back and not um, join that Super League. So it's been sketchy already um, with the way it's going down, but the Super League's idea – to branch away from the champions league and UEFA itself was good. The way they went about it and the way they proposed what they wanted to do was just awful. And it was the, it was just like the biggest story and that I've, that I've seen in sports probably obviously since the COVID incident last year, not incident. I mean, uh, the whole pandemic last year, right. With the Rudy Gobert um, touching the microphones and then everything just went downhill from there. Right. Like you mentioned earlier. Right. Um so so yeah um and then it, and then basically all the pressure from these fans and there's a lot of american owners involved in it too john henry who owns fenway sports group and the red sox obviously what he's done joel glazer who owns the tampa bay buccaneers and he owns manchester united um and there's obviously some other american owners ac milan's owned by a hedge fund called elliot um i'm not sure if you ever heard of them they're basically um just a vulture fund and they um there's a whole thing on Argentina. I won't get into that. You could just go look it up. They basically got a ship from the the country of Argentina for repaying their debts. Um, It's just a crazy situation, but these are the type of people that you kind of deal with. And and it's just billionaires versus billionaires at the end of the day, right? UEFA is just uh, controlled by billionaires and and it's incredibly corrupt and they're withholding millions of dollars, it seems. And, and the same for these owners, they're very greedy on both sides. So it's, it's, you know, It's bad versus even worse. Um, And people basically had to pick a side. And the best side temporarily at the moment is siding with UEFA because it gives all the other clubs a a better chance in competing for the time being.
0: So are are, uh, Uh, European – Some
1: sort of massive reform comes soon.
0: Are European soccer players unionized or no?
1: They're not, which is – the part because the only time players have a voice it's really it's really just owners versus um, federations and the the players aren't unionized they don't the agents really get a ton of money so you know how agents sometimes get a percentage out of contract deals that players sign over here and, and all that sort of representation clubs have to pay agents astronomical fees just to start negotiations like they'll To even talk to them, they'll pay a couple million euros or pounds just to even start talking to some of these players, agents, and just to get on the ground floor and then eventually offer some wages and get the deals done. That's the kind of issues that clubs are dealing with because that intertwines with, you know, the amount of money that they're spending and it goes with the FFP and, and they're, and they're basically getting neutered in a sense that they're not able to, you know, even talk to some of these guys and get in on them. And the players didn't even have a a choice or say in the European super league as well.
0: So if they're not unionized, then why don't the owners uh, try to just implement a salary cap instead of kind of doing all these weird workarounds and dog and pony shows that really just kind of distract from it. Why not just implement a straight hard salary cap that every team has to follow. And then from there, um, that would kind of, uh, you know, more control the salaries and the whole situation. Also put the lesser, you know, the, the smaller market teams on a, on a more even playing field with the bigger market teams. I mean, you just got to mm-hmm. look at the NFL, right, is, is a perfect example. Yeah. I mean, the reason why the NFL has all the parity it does And the reason why the Packers and the Chiefs can go to the Super Bowl and it's not just New York and L.A. all the time is because of a salary cap. And so why don't they pursue that avenue in European soccer instead of all these other channels?
1: Um, Well, there's a lot of factors into it, right? Eyeballs strictly. um, And federations aren't always all intertwined. What they choose to do in Italy isn't agreed upon in England. So you would have to get everyone within UEFA as a whole to agree on a salary cap. And that's really difficult to go with because a lot of teams are going to want to spend money if they have it. They don't want to be capped just because other teams in Italy or or France and England do it. Italy could just come out and say, hey, we're having a salary cap within our league ourselves, and we're only going to limit you guys to X amount of money spent. But the Premier League will sit there and say, okay, we don't have to do that. That's your choice. Go ahead with it we're going to not have a salary cap whatsoever. And we're going to allow our clubs to spend as much as they want. And if they could spend as much as they want, these other clubs and teams around Europe and the world are going to accept their, you know, astronomical fees that they'll pay for a player. And it just means all those top talents and players are just going to go straight to the premier league and places like Italy are going to lose on out because they can't afford the same wages and they can't afford to build a team like those guys do. And it's just, and it just ruins them because they're not going to be able to get, in the competitions and compete at the same level. Um, And that just stands to lose them more money with TV revenue, with, um, you know, stadiums and and tourists going to visit some of these cities because they're not interested in watching some of these teams that aren't even as close to as good as, you know, a La Liga team in Spain or or a Premier League team in England. It's just, it, it just would never work. And you would have to basically get everyone within UEFA itself to agree upon it. I think ultimately there might be something of a luxury tax, if anything, um, because I think the luxury tax would definitely make the most sense, because at the end of the day, if you're not going to cap people, you should maybe penalize them to a degree. if They're going to spend X amount of money, right? Because we see the Dodgers do it um, on a consistent basis. And even some NBA teams do it as well. Um so yeah, I think the luxury tax would be the most likely one. But again, it's just it's really difficult to have players agree to it because there's no union. And then the owners wanting to agree to it because they're all going to have to be on, on the same page. And having all these people be on the same page after what just happened, I, mean, I, I have no idea um, if that's uh, even possible at the moment, to be honest right. with you.
0: And maybe part of the issue is, is that because the, there are already so many eyeballs watching it, Paying attention to it, they just don't want to mess with a good thing, right? I mean, sometimes you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, Part of it, yeah, yeah. I mean, and if if some of the lower tier teams just kind of are there with maybe out of with maybe just not a large fan base, then then essentially what you you kind of have done is you just essentially shrunk the size of the league. Um, mm-hmm. Well, maybe not technically, because the smaller teams are still there, the smaller market teams are still there, but essentially that's what you've done, and and in some ways. I feel almost that's kind of what baseball's done now. What's interesting with baseball, the owners have really, really caught on to the right way to build a team, and they're not, mm-hmm. with a few exceptions like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, they're not going out and spending hundreds of millions of dollars on players um, when they can get, you know, somebody in their first six years out of the minor leagues for the cheap. And so, you know, if you and especially you know the way the playoffs are set, and this is a separate topic for another day, but in baseball, like there's a lot of luck in the playoffs and. Uh, The skill part is getting to the playoffs uh, over 162 game season. But, you know, a lot of times just outspending everybody doesn't lead to a championship per se. And so maybe that's kind of how they're approaching it there. So let me use that as a segue to kind of get into the American soccer scene. So give us your just kind of best guess as to why MLS um, or another soccer league in the U.S. just hasn't really taken off to the degree of the European soccer leagues. Because you would think that, you know, Americans are—they love sports here. Yes, soccer has obviously not been as popular as the other big four, um, but you definitely see a lot of. I mean, youth soccer is one of the largest—you know—sports uh, mm-hmm. you know played by by kids today. So, why hasn't MLS or one of these other soccer leagues here in the U.S. really ever taken off so far?
1: Um, I think they have made a lot of progress into what they've uh, done, but it's really just when you get into the sport, right? Because how many times? Have you or anyone else that you may have known gotten into a sport after your, I don't know, high school, we'll go with, right, or even middle school, for example, if you get hooked into a sport, you got to get hooked into it early on and for a lot of people um, in previous generations. Um, I think it's slowly changing. But a previous generation, soccer was kind of looked down upon, depending on where you're from. If you're more of like a third generation family uh, in America growing up, it's not really something a part of what um, you watch, right? It's NFL Sundays, because I have... Some, part, some parts of my family are like second, third generation, and then my mom's side, I'm more first generation, so it's more European-ish, so we watch a lot of soccer, but on the other side of the family, it's all about the NFL and American sports. It's really just when you're introduced to it, and just the U.S. men's national team, and and this is just for boys in general, because women's soccer is just phenomenal. The, what they do is and, and getting their eyeballs on there, they're great. And and I have cousins that play in college and and even professionally semi-pro. Um and they and they do great. And it's and it's really been working for them. But at the end of the day, with the men's national team's failures over recent years and just the overall league itself and the MLS being reborn in the mid nineties, like I'm as old as MLS. So, you know, this takes a lot of time to really build up because at the end of the day, you're competing with the other four major sports and you're trying to introduce this. You're trying to kind of take down these narratives and, and, and false, you know, pretenses about the sport being soft and not as physical as some people would like to admit it to be. Um, and overall, just, like, who's the guy that you point to um, for the men's side that, you know, people could love and, and, and have and look up to? And you mentioned you watch it every four years. We didn't get a chance to watch our men's team uh, in 2018, right? Because they failed to even make the World Cup. Think about all those eyeballs that were lost for kids to look up to a hero. I mean, they could still watch Christian Pulisic and Gio Rania and Josh Sargent and all these other guys – play in europe on the weekends but to see them put on the u.s men's national team jersey and go out and play against the best teams in the world and and biggest countries and soccer powers in the world uh it hurts them because you you don't get any interest there from from the floor in their parents aren't as interested and and passionate about it but that's slowly turning um and it's still going to take some time. I don't think it's going to be stuck like lacrosse was. Like lacrosse has been the sport of the, No disrespect to lacrosse, but lacrosse has been coined the sport of the future for about 40 years now. And it's <laughs> stagnated forever. Um, with soccer, it's just constantly growing. You're seeing more and more teams every year. They're going to be close to 30 teams in MLS, which is just insane. And it takes about and you and you see cultural, um, you know, icons sort of getting invested in some of these teams kevin durance uh owns a stake in the philadelphia union james harden was involved in the austin team that's going to be coming uh very soon um if they're not already in right now um and then matthew mcconaughey's involved we see david beckham own inter miami um so th- there's a there's a lot that's slowly starting to um get involved a lot of younger people into it and there's a lot more kids now that I I have younger cousins that they're more interested in soccer especially across the board than they were at my age right you know like mid early 2000s um so yeah I mean um it's just going to take some time and uh I I do think once the world cup comes here in 2026 that's when you kind of see it skyrocket In a sense, not to the level of NFL, NBA, um, but I do think eventually it has the power in the 2030s to be probably surpassing the NHL in terms of popularity. And I know that might kind of sound crazy, but it's the biggest sport in the world and it's only going to get better and, and bigger because kids are going to start realizing there's a different avenue in sport to go down to go and play, even though uh, pay to play in, in America is very expensive for a lot of people. So that kind of hinders it too, by the way.
0: See what I think it's going to take for soccer to be as popular as uh, uh, let's use baseball and hockey as an example, because those are the third and fourth, respectively, most popular mm-hmm. sports here in the U.S. I think it's going to take some bona fide stars in the prime of their career. No David Beckham at the end type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the prime of their career to come here and play. Like, if you look at why, um, you know, football, basketball, baseball, and hockey are so popular is because all the best athletes in those four sports play in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and NHL, respectively, right? Right. And so in order for the MLS, in my opinion, to take off, you got to have the best players in the world playing in it. I mean, it's just it's no one's going to, in my opinion, pay attention to what is a, essentially a second rate league. Now, does that need to happen all overnight? No. I think if you just at least have two or three stars, at least maybe to start with, and then you graduate to eight to ten and then eventually more and more. Uh, I think that would be really the thing that really drives it. Um you know, in terms of the popularity, because people want to watch the best, right? And, you know, right now, and Americans are especially like that, right? They want to be associated yeah. with the best. So yes, the best are in the European soccer leagues, but they're not going to pay attention to that because that's not here. And so I think mm-hmm. if it's here and, you know, then you can start to make the argument that the MLS is the, if it eventually gets to the point where it's the top soccer league in the world, I think Americans will flock to it like crazy. Um, because it checks all the boxes, actually, if you think about it. You know, for the most part, it's played outdoors. Um, you know, it's played once a week, so you can really get up for it. Um, you know, there is a lot more physical nature to it than people probably realize once they start watching it, they'll they'll get into that. I think there's a lot of back and side stories, which is a lot of people a lot of the reason why people love, you know, sports in general is just kind of the off-the-field, you know, drama that goes on. So I, I think it I I really think that that's what's gonna take. And what's really odd is you know, obviously, American owners have deep pockets. It's like it wouldn't really, I don't think, cost them that much. But I think it's got to be done in tandem, it feels like, with bringing in networks to start broadcasting the games because that's, of course, where the real money is, right? So if, if a few top stars can be signed and maybe some kind of deal could be struck with TNT, ESPN, NBC, whoever it might be, to broadcast some of these games in primetime, now you're starting to get, I think, in front of the casual fan, which is what it will ultimately take for it to grow here.
1: Yeah. I mean, just getting the best players over here in their prime. I just don't think that's even going to happen anytime soon. I think the best route is kind of go to where Brazil kind of is where you develop your own top stars and, and coveted players, which they've done a pretty good job of and have them stick around for a little bit longer than they do because a lot of these really talented players leave when they're 16, 17. Right. So we don't even really get to even see them develop over here. There's a few players in MLS now, um, that are going to be playing for the national team that are really talented. Um, but it, but the shelf life of them staying here just isn't that high. And the best way for the men's national team to compete is have our players play against the best players in the world. They do it in Brazil. They do it in Argentina. They all get up and leave and go there. The best is, yeah, you're right, to an extent, just build that foundation and maybe get one to two players on occasion to come towards the back end of their prime is probably best case scenario. And you're going to have to give them astronomical money I think you'll see Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi come here within the next three years or so, uh, for sure, Um, especially with the relations with David Beckham and him playing here. We've had other top stars. I I think I think there is that kind of opportunity to have that happen because there have been a lot of players that have towards like the back end of their prime, not like top 10 players in the world, but like top players in the world that have played in the Champions League that leave for China and they go play there and they play for enormous amounts of money. But now with all those issues going on with COVID and and kind of just all those other issues in general over there, you know, political stuff not to get into, but they end up leaving. I think the US, there's just so much more of an opportunity for these players as well. And you're right, TV deals and the marketing opportunity too, no one markets better than the United States, right? Like who who, does it? better than us nobody really does i mean england does a great job on their own with the premier league but come on now the fact that we have just like primarily one like certain sports that aren't universal uh kind of like baseball right i mean it's massive in the caribbean and certain places in central america but to, to have some massive brand names like the like like the yankees hat but it's only predominantly known in America. No one else does that, right? Like it's an American sport, but yet everyone all all over the world knows what the Yankee logo is. So that's kind of like the power we have over here. And I do eventually see it happening, but I guess it kind of just has to take one. But again, I I would see it in their early 30s, if anything.
0: That's kind of what I'm saying. I think it just takes one. Just somebody pull out the wallet, uh, fork over the money to one of the biggest stars in the European League, and just pay pay them to go come play for, uh, you know, the San Jose earthquakes or something, right? And if you do that, I really, really think that you've got a chance uh, to, you know, kind of have a snowball effect, right? With the network coming on board with it, uh, the marketing behind it. And I, I fully, a million percent agree with you on the marketing side. Nobody does marketing better than the United States. And that is actually one of the, the things I think the NHL suffers from is just and and the and, and major league Baseball, mlb too mlb is they just are bad at marketing there's nothing Hardly. else to say about it Hardly. there's nothing else to say about it like they, they don't they don't market the stars they don't market the 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 uniqueness of the challenges of the sport like hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things in the world to do yet they and they've gotten a little bit better about like showing you know launch angles and uh, uh,
1: even you know. clips with stuff. It's a yeah. lot of short-sighted moneta- monetization yeah. moves, um, you know, blacking out restrictions yeah. for people to watch watch games on MLB TV. Like you can't even share MLB clips often. You know how like with the NBA, if I, oh. I were to just go on my phone and record a clip of Giannis slamming on somebody, yeah. you're like, oh, that's great. Everyone shares it, gets interactions from around the world. They put blackout restrictions on certain clips and they'll strike your Twitter channel if you're trying to share a clip like that. Like, why are you restricting it? Just because you want short term monetization games, but in the long term, you're exposing millions and thousands of eyeballs to other people to get into the sport. Like, Mike, Mike Trout, right? For a lot of people, analytics wise, I don't know if you um, are that deep into it, yeah. but Mike Trout's considered one of the best players of all time already. Um, okay. And No one knows what he looks like for the most part. Like I'll know who he looks like. You know what he looks like. But the average person, like if your mom doesn't know who Mike Trout is, then you have an issue. My mom knew who Shaq was and she doesn't watch the NBA. Um, That's the difference. Um, And you're right. And like same thing with like Sidney Crosby. I know Sidney Crosby is like one of the greatest players ever. And, you know, I kind of know what he looks like, (laughs) but it's it's not as easy as like uh, other sports.
0: Yeah. And so I think, you know, the issue there is, is um, especially with baseball, the commissioner. So, I mean, Rob Manfred's a lawyer and I mean, he has in my, I think, look, I mean, you know, not to steal the thunder too much from some other, you know, talk show hosts and stuff, but, you know, uh, Russo and Adam Schein have talked about this. Like, I think it's very realistic that Rob Manfred just doesn't enjoy the game and doesn't doesn't. leave in the sport and um, is not, is not a good ambassador. I mean, calling the world series trophy a piece of metal um, is just I, I'm, have, it.
1: I have very strong opinions on robert manfred and let's hear back.
0: them come on <laughs> well
1: listen first of all i'm a mets fan so i get that out of the way right like i mentioned earlier what bud seeley did to the mets and mets fans is is criminal in my opinion what happened with frank mccourt and the dodgers was rightfully done by mlb to force a sale right because it's it's absolute chaos. It's a bad look for the league. They don't want a, a divorce tug back and forth over the premier, one of the premier franchises, right? They couldn't even make the payroll. Center, <laughs> I they, it was it was a disaster, yeah. right? And it's funny because Frank McCourt's had struggle struggles in in French soccer as well. So that's a funny story to go look up if you haven't seen anything like that. So it's it's pretty funny there, but like not funny at the same time. Um, so yeah, I mean, the Bernie Madoff incident happens. The Mets are financially strung up right they owe a billion dollars to all these families that have been suffering they were one of the main beneficiaries right they're dropping tons of money they were the worst team money could buy right in the 90s and they're dropping uh uh nine-figure contracts to carlos beltran and other top players uh johan santana another one
0: i'll be one day
1: bud Seeley was okay with what was going on because who, who what did bud used to do before he was commissioner you know this you could just let them know right i don't have to say it
0: he was a terrible owner for the Brewers. <laughs> yes. But hang I, I, the one thing I got to give him credit for is he brought the Brewers from Seattle to Milwaukee. This was before I was born. Um, I'm man. old, but not that old, so I I man. do have to thank him for that because otherwise we never would have had a team. Yeah. Um. So yeah. that was great. He was good until about I'd say the late '80s, and then the game passed him by. And that's of course obviously oh when he took yeah. o- that's yeah. when he took over as commissioner. Yeah.
1: And you know whatever, forget about the steroid errors, turning a blind eye to right. that, getting into the Hall of Fame, but the other players can't. Whatever. Just right. that's just something I like to get out there. Um. But yeah, he Rob Manfred was essentially Bud Selig's right hand man, and. And what they, they were best friends with the Wilpons and they just let whatever happened and they turned a blind eye to it. And he goes, Oh, Sandy Alderson is a recommended guy. You go and get him in. He comes from, you know, the Oakland A's and the A's do things a lot differently. And they weren't running the Mets like a, like a major market team. They, the Mets had to. Mets fans had to beg them to re uh, sign Yoenis Cespedes, who was clearly the most valuable player on the team. Um, they were they were worrying about insurance money. They were collecting insurance money back from David Wright's back injury and Johannes Cespedes not playing, and they were not reinvesting the money. and And Rob Manfred is just standing there and he's doing nothing about it. Um, and he's calling out Mike Trout as well, saying Mike Trout has to approach us about doing a better job of marketing himself. Right. And 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 all these unwritten rules about, you know, even the suspension recently with Nick Castellanos, right? Like, let's talk about how stupid that is. The Rangers are allowed 100% capacity in Texas for fans. Nick Castellanos gets suspended, right, for that fighting incident. But if you saw what the reasoning was for that suspension being upheld, was that it violated COVID violations because they were too close. Mm -hmm. How does that make any sense that you could have a stadium filled 100% with people and then have that all the time where you're having players tag other players out, by the way, it's like they're right up in front of each other. But when this Castellano starts barking and, you know, it gives some energy into it, right? Because my earliest memories of baseball being amazing and, and, and fun was the Red Sox fighting Veritech versus A-Rod. I mean, it was messed up, but Pedro throwing Don Zimmer to the ground was just another crazy event. And you just don't get that anymore. And, and he just doesn't get it. They just don't appeal to the younger crowd. I think they're doing a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, on social media but listen you're right the, the guy's calling it a piece of metal he didn't do nearly enough to uh, suspend players that cheated the game with the houston astros he's hiding a letter from the new york yankees about a potential cheating scandal and the envelope can't be opened up and the yankees refuse to open it so clearly they have something to hide the, the red sox like apple watch scandal too i mean right. listen he handles everything poorly and then um What was it? Was it the 20, this past World Series with the Dodgers? He almost started crying because he was getting booed. Um, I mean... (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. Like the they are not catering to the younger crowd at all. Um, yes, they're trying to make improvements to speed up the game, but I think they're actually all the wrong improvements. Like, oh, starting, like oh the God. like the putting the runner at second base uh to start extra innings is like I totally agree with Adam Shine on this. Like, what is this little league? Uh making both doubleheaders, seven innings, by the way, that completely Fs up all like sports betting. Uh, when they do that, they don't think about that as well. Like, you know, in terms of, you know, one of the reasons that people are probably watching is because because of the betting and the fantasy and you mess it changes up. Changes lines
1: drastically because the starters just go deeper. Yeah, and <laughs> you don't it. even have to worry about, you know, a bullpen coming like the Mets have a bad bullpen. Like it's just 7 innings. They have Jacob deGrom on the mound. The Mets are going to be heavier favorites now, right? So like they're going to be but, in the minus 200s. Towards. Yeah,
0: totally. And and then the other part of it is is that I mean, what other sport has like a break every five or ten minutes like I and mean, just ridiculous like they could if they want to shorten games cut down on the time in between each half inning and no commercial break when relief pitchers come in like why can't the guy and, and no no warm-up pitches on the mound like the guy just threw like 20 pitches in the bullpen why does he need to come in yeah and i don't know what they, the they still
1: give him like eight, yes, when they come eight. In or something like, and eight pitches yeah. for
0: each for each pitcher in between each half inning after well,
1: they ma- stall, after they stall for a lot of time to get the pitchers loose, and then they bring them in, and then it's two minutes, and then okay, he's good to go, and then they start it up. Yeah, I don't know. I listen. I agree. <laughs> it's, just, it's I have a strong disdain towards Robert Manfred.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and look for me on the hockey side. So we never believe it or not. Somehow this happened. Never had a hockey team growing up in Wisconsin, an NHL team, an IHL yeah, team. Crazy. Yeah, and so I never followed hockey until about 2015, and then I re- when the Sharks went to uh, the uh, Stanley Cup. Uh, mm-hmm. So the Sharks are the only team in California that I root for, um, and hockey is amazing. And it's another example of like bad marketing because it is it is and then look. Uh, the playoffs are a lot better than the regular season. So that is a little part of it too. They, they need to cut back yeah. on some of the regular season stuff and make a few changes there. But just in general, um, you know, the sport of hockey itself is, is a lot of fun. Uh, there's plenty of rough and tumble, you know, rumble and tumbling. Uh, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, athletic yet, uh, you know, um, you know, kind of aggressive at the same time. I mean, it's got all the things that I think Americans would actually go for, But they do nothing, and I mean nothing, to market it or make it easy for people to follow, um, whatsoever. And it's really sad because the things that those, you know, athletes are able to do—skate, manage a uh, puck—you know, playing
1: two sports at once.
0: I know, run into a defender at the same time. uh, You know, (laughs) yeah, exactly. It's two sports at once. That's a great way to put it. It's 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 baffling to me that you know that there's just not better marketing behind it. uh, At least here in the U.S. and Canada. You know, oh, I
1: mean, a couple a couple lockouts, horrible TV deal. I mean, NBC Sports does like right. great production value. I think they do the best in general. Right. Um, but I mean, you're right. And then again, it's just like the deals are with ESPN plus to get hockey games on like, you know, like there's an older crowd that also you lose eyeballs towards too because they don't know how to work that kind of technology but like a smart tv or if they don't even have a smart tv they got to go on their laptop or computer at home to go and watch the game if it's on there Like it's it's not appealing to also the fans who do watch and then it also is really tough to get other fans involved in it, especially with like the way esports is exploding too, right. it's like another thing to compete with. And I know that's an entirely different topic. Well, and <laughs> Russo
0: brings this up too. I will never forget Brewers Dodgers NLCS from two thousand eighteen. Uh, mm. Game four or game five was on uh, what FS one or one plus or Oh my god, uh,
1: It has to be on network TV. It has to be.
0: Give me a break. It's a naturally championship series. And it's on, un- I, I thankfully got the channel, um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and stuff, but I'm like, how can you just because they paid you the most money,
1: you can't do that. I mean, you just, I don't even think the NHL had all their Stanley cup finals games on, on NBC four. No. Nope.
0: Nope. But, nope.
1: Which is, which I was, I was actually really upset about and I'm a devil's fan. So they're terrible, but it's, it's also like you're, you're contributing to killing off your sport. by not having it like you should demand that that be on network television and uh super bowl is always on nbc cbs or fox and and um you have the world series always on fox and the nba finals is on abc like why is the nhl being on nbc sports like that's embarrassing that it really is embarrassing
0: yeah. Or, or it's not even on NBC. It's on some like, uh, I don't know, some whatever affiliate channel that they have. Yeah.
1: yeah, NBC Sports Channel. Which oh, is, sorry.
0: Like, OK. Yeah. NBC yeah. Sports Channel. Like they're separate. Not even NBC. Just that's M-
1: where they have the Premier League games most of the time and then occasional golf yeah. events and stuff yeah. like that. So that's basically where they want to go, I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, okay, so switching gears here one last time um, as we kind of uh, come here towards the end. And by the way, this has been an amazing conversation. So are you into sports betting? I mean, obviously being uh, you know, near mm-hmm. New Jersey, um, you kind of get uh, exposure there and New York is, looks like they're about to legalize it. We're still waiting for them to legalize sports betting in California, but we are now up to 27 states that have legalized sports betting, more than half the country. As legalized sports betting, um, which is amazing. Yeah, exactly. It's it, And that's the thing too, right? I think, why don't we start with that? You know, millennials, Gen Z, Gen Y, they don't want to be told what to do with their money. They, If they want to be able to bet on sports, they want to be able to bet on sports. And I think that's a major generational shift from the baby boomers um, and the silent yeah. generation to the younger generations now that, you know, the, the baby boomers and the older generations, they looked at, Sports betting is, of course, you know, taboo and as being uh, evil and all this other stuff. So, yeah, I want to kind of get your take. Do you bet on sports a lot? Like, what's your view on sports being intertwined with now starting to be part of broadcasts and other stuff like
1: that? So I've always known gambling kind of to an extent, not sports gambling. Initially, when you're exposed to it, my grandpa used to play cards all the time. Um, So he would have like his older friends over and they just, you know, they would Smoke cigarettes or whatever. Have their cards. Have a couple of drinks and just play for money. That's kind of like the first gambling, like you get exposed to. And then whenever we went on vacation um sometimes it would be at atlantic city you'd see the casino and everything and i always like found it fascinating and my dad would just ask me a number for you know the roulette table and he'd just put it down and he'd win some money it'd be like fun right because he'd get me some prizes back when AC was cool like that so sports betting is like the first time because back then when i was a kid i know back then whatever it's like 15 16 years ago i don't want to make other people sound old but but when when i was a kid right the only time i would see anything regarding sports gambling or the lines was in the newspapers you would see the spread next to the teams with the NFL and I would get kind of confused by it because I saw a negative number, Mm -hmm. you know, I see like a minus two spread or whatever it was for an NFL game. And I, and the only time I saw a number next to a team was in college basketball or college football because they were ranked number 25 in the country or whatever it was. So I thought it was associated with that, but then it's explained to, you know, this is the amount of, Points that a team is projected to win by and you bet that um so i've been in in sports betting and, and betting on stuff for a few years now um because it's obviously not legal to really do it anywhere um so you just kind of get in with certain stuff so it started off with the super bowl and the super bowl is like the best um betting event ever like nothing compares to it um national anthem the the gatorade that you dump on on somebody um like what, what team is going to score first, touchdown, prop first, touchdown prop. Like props are amazing. It's just so much fun to get into that. Um, and then the, the place I used to work at is called Sports Grid now. It's, it's based in New York City. Um, it used to be the FNTSY Sports Network. Um, and it used to be primarily for fantasy sports, DFS, uh, and all that fun stuff. But then they slowly started, you know, gearing towards, okay, sports gambling is, is, is actually going to make a massive search now because you're right. It's not as taboo as it used to, because a lot of people, um, kind of my generation are of the belief. Okay. We're able to join the military at 18. We are able to drink at 21. Um, both of which are Detri- like you could obviously pass away if you go for service over overseas, um, or you could even you know drink yourself to death. There's a lot of terrible things that come with drinking and all that kind of stuff, and even cigarettes too. But that's all legal and that's all okay. But sports gambling is just what you do with your own money, and you don't even have to throw that much. You could stop at any time you want. Um, and you don't stand to risk too much unless you're reckless. And I understand everything goes in and it's a serious addiction for a lot of people and you should obviously get help if, if you need it. Um, but at the end of the day, I I agree. Again, you should not be telling people how to spend their money and what they could spend it on, especially when there's so many States that have issues financially, New York being one of them. Oh, if there was ever something to implement and legalize that would bring in and generate millions of dollars to help out a certain state and, you know, the education system and, you know, so on and so forth, it'd be sports gambling because the amount of money that Jersey took in was just insane. Um, I know you've seen the figures, I'm sure. Um, and it's like, why is New York limiting itself to us? Because there's two separate really quick accesses to New Jersey. If you're a New Yorker, you can go by me, which is the Tap and Z Bridge. And you could just go over and cross the river and you're in Jersey in a second. You place your mobile bet. You just come back, you go home, you go to sleep, you watch the game, whatever. Or the, like, I mean... Think about the city, man. The people are just taking a train on New Jersey Transit, and they're going there just to place these bets. And it's it's millions, and it'll be hundreds of millions that they lose over time if they don't get it right. Because right. they're just being too stubborn about this because it's taboo when when they were growing up. But I mean, let's I won't even get into the Cuomo stuff, right? So. So again, um, I've just always been in the sports betting, and then it's legal over in Europe too. So I have friends from London, Sweden, where it's all legalized, and they talk publicly about their bets all the time and what they place. The odds are a little different, as you may know, um, with the way they um, kind of put down the fractions and the decimals over there. uh, With some of the stuff, actually. Yeah, it's so annoying because my co-host Oh, is I like from I des- I like that. Oh, you do. Part. I love oh, they that. they can they just confuse me because it's it's our fault really because we always have to be different with the way we <laughs> like measure things with uh, temperature and, and distance etc. um so it's kind of when my co host I'm like, oh, this team's like plus 300 to He's like, what the hell are you talking about? What's plus 300? I'm like, okay, well, that's. Well, that's decimal annoying. odds are so
0: much easier because all you have to mm-hmm. do is multiply your bet amount by the decimal and it tells you what your payout is. And it doesn't matter what your bet. Am- See, the problem with the American system for odds is that it's mm-hmm. always based on a $100 bet, which is a pain to then have to calculate. Whereas with decimal odds, it's like uh, if the decimal odds are uh, 2.1 and you're betting uh, I don't know, uh, $20. Um, then, you know, instantly that you're going to get what, uh, $22 or in 20 cents. Uh, so it's really just straightforward, you know, what it would be. So I think that's why decimal odds are, are better, but I mean, to each his own.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, of course. I just, yeah. I mean, it really just all depends on when you get in and, and what odds are presented to you at first. So yeah. Um, but um what was the other part of the question? Sorry cuz it's such a No, no, no. no. It was it, it was really
0: just kind of like about, you know, uh, you know, how sports betting is is really, you know, evolving, evolving here in the US. And I think Oh my god. It's, it's 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 awesome to see that it's not it's not taboo anymore. And going to your point so about, you know, people getting uh potentially addicted and everything like that. Look, the bottom line is this and this is something i've i've basically you know been able to get comfortable with otherwise i couldn't run a sports betting company is that people are going to gamble no matter if you offer to them legally or not oh, yeah. and so it's much better to give them a controlled safe um, you know method for gambling than it is to have it go underground uh, and have it be some dark alley backdoor, underground kind of thing. And so by offering legalized sports betting, you're actually, I think, um, making it much better for those that may have a problem or for everybody in general, because you're giving them a controlled environment with which to do it in. And I think that's better for all people involved.
1: Yeah, because you you can only bet on what's in your account for like FanDuel, for example, which is use them, right? You could only bet a set amount. Like if you, you can't bet more than a hundred dollars if you don't have a hundred dollars in your account. So you can't be running up some sort of debt with money that you don't have, which helps a lot of people, right? Because someone who I did work with for a little bit prior to him having to go to prison for, for gambling issues was Craig Carton. Um, And he, he had this obvious issue. I mean, if you could go look it up HBO max has the documentary on him about how his addiction got the best of him and how much money he was really running up and getting himself into deep issues is preventing stuff like that, or trying at least to help prevent that. Um, and I think there's even plenty of proof throughout uh, American history um, in terms of, you know, people doing what they want, regardless if it's legal or not. Right. And prohibition is probably the main one. Um, so I think you're right. If you just present it as a controlled um, you know, environment, as you mentioned, people would be better off for it. Because, again, at the end of the day, it's nice to see when, you know, because like bookies at the end of the day, they'll ask for a minimum bet, right? Like some guys will ask you for 50 to place for a minimum. Wow. Um, with Fandle, you could put down a dollar and yeah. he could be okay. You know what course. I mean?
0: Minimum bets about a dollar.
1: Yeah. So. So yeah, I mean, which is like way better because it's just because you get down in this rabbit hole of like, oh, I can make it back, I can make it back, and that and that's obviously like a lot of people lack discipline in in, in all areas of life, right. and it's not to harp on them. It's just the the harsh reality of, of the world is that um, people have a, have a tough time knowing when to walk away and saying no. So,
0: so um, are you into crypto at all? <sighs>
1: No, I'm not, but my brother is all my friends are, I uh, like, I'm in this chat with all my friends that we play video games and obviously just friends in general. And they're constantly texting about Dogecoin. Um, and it's just really funny to see and even my one of my best friends from high school my freshman year so this must have been 2009 was always telling me the futures in bitcoin the futures in bitcoin and he was always you know he's kind of like a a wise ass kind of clown so i'm like i just always laughed it off but then when that surge happened a couple years ago i think it was sorry i'm kind of ignorant on it but um yeah, and he was like, "Look at all this money I'm making." I was like, "You got to be kidding me." <laughs> like you're actually <laughs> and uh, I always knew the Winklevoss twins were like involved in it somehow Great. too. Um, um but that's kind of the extent besides everyone just watching with the Robin Hood stuff too. Um I just I'm, I'm just so ignorant to it. I just don't <laughs> just don't even know.
0: it's uh, it's all, it's all good. Works. So I'll say this, forget the forget the speculative part of it because of course you can go sign up for a Coinbase account or a Binance account and start uh, speculating on it. that's actually how I got into it uh, was towards the end of 2017. I really got into day trading cryptocurrencies, um, and then I started to learn the te- about the technology, the blockchain uh, technology behind them. And basically, all it is is at uh, the very simplest of levels, it's about removing the middleman. It's about removing banks out of the equation. So if I send you money via PayPal or Venmo or credit card or wire transfer, there's a person or an institution in the middle of that transaction, a bank, um, and they're the ones processing it. And basically, with cryptocurrencies, there's no middleman. It's all done via technology, and there's all sorts of very, very deep algorithms and uh, right, like people stuff.
1: mining, right? I know I,
0: yeah, and, and the mining essentially is basically um, solving very complex math problems that um, are required to move the money from one party to the next without, again, a centralized third party, and so. Um, my, miners are essentially it's all it's all automated though for the most part they don't sit there manually and try and figure this stuff out it's all uh, automated and then there's other there's other um, blockchains that don't have mining at all um, it's all just based on what's called proof of stake or um, you know other kinds of uh, concepts uh, but the bottom the net net of it is is that you don't it doesn't require a middleman which is perfect for gambling because honestly when you try to conduct a, a gambling transaction with credit card debit card ACH or wire I mean there's a 40 50% chance your bank will just flat out decline it or they'll restrict it um or charge huge fees. And so crypto gets rid of all of that. There's no um there's the fees are almost next to zero instant settlement. is why it's
1: such big controversy, right? Cuz it doesn't it take away from banks. Yeah, or- exactly. Well,
0: that they're the ones pushing against it, but everyone oh, else yeah. is pushing for it because my dad's
1: big into those conspiracy theories with the banks and the Federal Reserve. And he would so. love
0: then he would love crypto. <laughs> Crypto is probably too Valley. stubborn
1: with the crypto, he just follows the stock market and CSNBC every day. But, um, MSNBC, <laughs> sorry, um, but yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah,
0: but it's, it's just, it's, it's really cool. And, and so, most of the transactions, for example, that we process, um, you know, in Zen Sports are all crypto, um, and that's how we were able to get up to speed or up to into market so fast two years ago when we launched. So, yeah, it's good stuff, it's good stuff. Well, well, Martino, you know, uh, I, I really appreciate your time this morning, uh, here on the west coast, this afternoon, uh, for you on the east coast. Um, you've been a really engaging guest, uh, really enjoyed having you. Thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing soccer wisdom. Uh, I learned a lot today and, uh, yeah, thanks for being on and we'll love to have you on again sometime.
1: Yeah, of course. I really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, Allie was so nice over, over LinkedIn, by the way. So I have to uh, compliment her for being so professional too. Um, it was a great interview. I really appreciate, um, uh, you bringing me on giving me a little platform to, uh, talk some soccer because not too many people are keen on it through here the only time they ask is really just um you know certain soccer bets they would they would like to know about from like you know the athletic articles or etc and all that but um again really appreciate it so much it was a lot of fun
0: yeah definitely martino sounds good uh thanks again and have an amazing day